All right. That was 2 Corinthians 6, the first 13 verses. Like I said, it was a bunch of stuff Paul said, and I'm about to talk about it. This is the sermon. (laughs) We're in week two of our series, Pondering Paul. And with those things in mind, I thought I would share some fun facts about Paul as it relates to 2 Corinthians. Sounds riveting. Real exciting. Yes, thank you. So first, are you ready for this? 2 Corinthians is the closest thing we've got to Paul's spiritual or pastoral autobiography in that it sheds the most light into his mind and heart. Whoa, right? Okay, let's, let's try another one. Two, because of how personal Paul gets, 2 Corinthians is the only book in the New Testament. Hold on. Let me put this in my pocket. I only have... Okay, I'm ready. Because of how personal Paul gets, 2 Corinthians is the only book in the New Testament that scholars haven't, at one point or another, denied its traditional authorship. Yeah, Paul is the undisputed writer in this letter. Paul, this is the third one. Paul talks more about suffering as it relates to Christian life here more than in any of his other letters. And finally, this is my favorite. There are fewer commentaries on 2 Corinthians than any other book in the New Testament. So there you go. Fun facts I dug up as I did my sermon prep, and I wanted to share them with you for two reasons. One, because I couldn't agree more that Paul is up close and personal in this text. He isn't some disconnected, informal celebrity pastor that checks in on the people occasionally. No, he's utterly invested, utterly present, utterly human. And second, second, hey, if no one wants to give commentary on what's going on with Paul in this letter, I'll just write my own. So that's what I'm about to do in this sermon. So you're welcome. But I'm warning you now, if you get offended easily, I have absolutely no problem deconstructing the divinity of Paul that so many of us had to tiptoe around on our faith journeys. Honestly, no qualms here whatsoever. Say it with me all together now. Paul isn't God. Ready? Paul isn't God. How are you feeling? Are you okay? Are you all right? I don't see any lightning. Okay. I think we're good. Okay. Uh, Paul isn't God. And I think we can treat Paul as any other human in our interpretation, in our exegesis, in our application. We can reposture the way we approach his work, just as we learned that we can approach the Bible with thoughtfulness and care, and stay with me here, context, with a hermeneutic that makes space for the human pulse that's running throughout it, that leaves room for the acknowledgement of human actions and human ways. We are learning how to adjust the way in which we receive the wisdom of the Bible, the divine gifts it offers us, the, the breath of spirit from it upon, like, onto our lives. And we can do all of this with the words and writings of St. Paul as well. There's no need to do all this work a lot of us have done when it comes to the way we approach the Bible and not do the same in how we approach Paul. 
So we're not throwing him out today. We're not disregarding his wisdom. We're putting him in his proper place. And in doing so, we're choosing not to sell him short. See? So one of the reasons I mentioned that note on Paul writing about suffering so often, specifically in 2 Corinthians, is because when I read that commentary, I really, when I read that commentary, I really resonated. Because for me, and I know like we each have our own like individual hangups with Paul or not, maybe, maybe you don't. But for me, whenever I read his work, I'm like, this guy is obsessed with suffering. He is obsessed with it. And I'm just going to say it. I don't get it. Like, I'm not here to suffer. And I don't believe that I get extra faith points if I suffer. My hope and my joy and my end goal in this work is the thriving of all creation. And guess what? That includes me. <laughs> so I haven't always resonated with some of the ways that Paul talks about suffering. But when I allow my biblical interpretation to evolve... When I divest myself from unnecessary orthodoxy or Christian prescription, and when I reclaim my God-given imagination, then I get to approach the Bible with a level of playfulness that's really helpful. Because the playfulness leads to lightheartedness. And the lightheartedness enables me to loosen my grip enough to remember that Paul was a man. And since Paul was a man, we can assume without a doubt that he had his own hang-ups, his own set of traumas. And so my theory today, check back with me next week, I might see it differently then. But today, I'm thinking Paul had a hang-up with suffering. I think he had a hang-up with suffering precisely because he caused suffering. He hurt people. He killed people. He caused pain intentionally. He spread evil, like Fran said last week in her sermon, we're dealing with a retired supervillain here. So go back and listen to that sermon if you haven't. You may be wondering now, oh, but wasn't that Saul? And now there's Paul and he's on that new creation trajectory? Yes, definitely. And think about this. Have you ever done your inner work, experienced healing, changed your life, changed from the inside out, and then still found yourself revisiting your pain? Do your wounds still rise up even after therapy, even after prayer, even after forgiveness extended to yourself and others? The answer is yes. Why? Because we are human, and we are still human on the other side of healing, and healing requires maintenance work, right? And why would it be any different with Paul? Is he God? Is he some deity? No. Paul spoke and worked and wrote from a place of deep humanness and us trying to take that reality out of his letters denies us the full picture. So I think that Paul was traumatized deeply from the trauma he perpetuated in his past to the point where he felt like he needed to suffer. At the very least, it shaped his faith lens, it shaped how he experienced God, it played a role in how he led. And so when I keep all this in mind, it gives me room and permission not just to learn from the wisdom explicitly offered from him in the text, but also to learn from his humanness, to lean into the midrash, right? Like to the writing in between the lines, that sacred space. So Peter S. Hawkins, he's a, I think he's retired, but he's a longtime professor of religion and literature at Yale Divinity School. But he said something I really liked. He said, we pay attention to Paul to look beyond him. 
Paul is not our end-all be-all. His wisdom is a tool in our spiritual toolbox that can be helpful to us along our way so that we can see beyond him and continue in our work, the same type of work, by the way, that Paul was concerned with. Paul was an innovator. Paul was a trailblazer. He was a visionary. And because of this, I think Paul understood the delicate intersection between now and like now. He understood that there is a difference between his time, his context, his reality, and the Kairos now that he references in Isaiah 48. You can go back and look at that later. That is the capital N now, the heaven on earth now, the new creation right now that we are still living and working from today. I call this Paul's carpe diem theology because it is an urgent sense to seize the day right now, not for nothing, not in vain, but as an investment into the future, a kingdom investment that starts today. And in this way, his concern is our concern. Do you hear what I'm saying? We are in alignment with, of all people, Paul. We are. And it is from this place, in this posture, that I engage today's reading. A reading in which he comes with receipts, proof of his authenticity and action in the work. A reading in which he drops all formalities. We're already good at that, so we've already got one down. Instead, he pours himself out, he lays himself bare, and he attempts to extend connection and solidarity. In other words, he's opening his heart wide, and he's asking the Corinthians to do the same. In doing this, not just in today's text, but in the whole canon of his work, he is speaking to how we create and sustain faith community in this carpe diem space, where we are working urgently toward heaven on earth, living out salvation, embodying new creation in Christ, no time to waste, right now. And y'all, this is what we're doing. This is the work we are doing. We are asking, how do we create and sustain healthy faith community? We're asking, how do we do this work alongside the resurrection work we're called to? How do we do this work in this time with the capital N now in mind? We're asking, how do we do it when it looks radically different from what we grew up on or what others around us are doing or from the status quo of the church? See, we have the same concerns of Paul, and everything from our postures to our actions are shaped by those concerns, and there's no going back to who we were. We've been made new. And so we live and move and breathe with this in mind. And guess what happens next, y'all? We get called imposters from time to time. And let me tell you something, I'm going to channel some Paul energy real quick and share some solidarity by way of receipts because I have a whole album on my phone of screenshots of what's been thrown my way. (laughs) For daring to ascribe to a liberal theology, for my radically inclusive way of understanding God, and best of all, for daring to exist and then speak as a woman pastor. (laughs) So whatever fear you have about the response to your new creation existence, I'm telling you I get it. I am with you, and I want to remind you that though we are called imposters, we know we are truthful. We know who we are. We have taken the road less traveled, and we've been through it, y'all. 
Like, I don't know all of you, but I can just tell. <laughs> we have been through it. We've been cut off from our sacred communities. We've been wounded by people of faith. We have drained ourselves dry from all the deconstructing. We're stripping away the layers and layers of homophobia and racism and sexism and all the isms. We're peeling every harmful layer that has informed our prior lived theology away and it has been hard and uncomfortable and we're not really even sure where we're landing, probably, a lot of us. And then, if that wasn't enough, our day-to-day lives, right? And on top of that, a pandemic. (laughs) And in the meantime, our community has undergone so much change. We've experienced so much upheaval. We've shifted, taken on new forms and identities. We're traversing so many unknown territories on so many levels. It's a lot. And doesn't it feel like we're living in new realities right now? Yes, it's like we're a new creation whether we like it or not. And I wonder what we're going to do with this information. What are we going to do with it? What, after all this, remains true? What do we have to speak on and stand on as fervently as Paul did in his letter to the Corinthians where he speaks with so much passion and conviction and assurance? Oh my gosh, is that not so frustrating? (laughs) What remains true for us? And I don't claim to have answers most of the time, but I do have a response for this. Having borne witness to so many of your lives over the last 10 years, having kept vigil for this community over the course of a pandemic, after watching your various spiritual evolutions and your suffering and your seasons of transitions and change and your grief and your life lived, I have a response for us, Peace of Christ Church. In the event that you have lost sight or forgotten, here is what's true about us. We are trailblazers trailblazing a new movement. We are boldly reimagining the work of sacred community and we don't have to compare ourselves to anybody else. We're learning to open wide our hearts and experience next level healing and wholeness. We're learning to believe in the truth of Imago Dei, no outside permission required. And we are learning to lean into the discomfort and beauty that comes with real resurrection work. Here's what's true about us. We have it, what we are looking for, what we need. We already have it. God in us, every divine resource, beloved community, and freedom from our shackles of guilt and shame and pressure and prescription, we have it. Now embody it. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. This is exactly what Paul told the community in our text today. And the same is true for us. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And by the way, salvation is not about personal piety, but resurrection, liberation, the oneness of all things. This urgent now of a new creation, of kingdom work, of heaven on earth. This is the offering Paul gave Christian history and by extension us. And we can take this gift with us as we proceed. We can allow it to embolden us as we hold up our own offering in these times, the offering of our daily lives. What will we do with this power, which is awareness? This is a question each of us might ask ourselves daily, but I know at least this much. In the words of Paul, directly from today's reading, 
as Christ's co-workers, may we not receive this knowledge, this grace of God, in vain. Amen?